You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. moment in time, and so I'd like, if you would, to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll read there for a moment or two as well. 2 Timothy chapter 3. From verse 1 it says this, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm themselves their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth, just as Yanis and Yambres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth, men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You who, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures." which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's interesting to come to these scriptures. Now, I don't purport to be some sort of uh, end times prophet who can give you detail of the dates and the times of when the Lord is going to return or anything like that. So that's not what this is about this morning. So if you're holding your breath for that, then you may expire before the end. So let me just alleviate you of that pressure before we begin. However, this portion of scripture does provide us with some information on what the last days will be like. And, uh, and some, perhaps, which we need to take heed of so that we can see 
the times that are surrounding us. And as we move forward as a church, we need to be prepared for this, these times as they arrive. The church today f- faces some real challenges and difficulties. We have interesting government policies that are taking place, changes and societal shifts. One which is at the top of the headlines at the moment is the, safe, the same-sex marriage debate, which is uh, creating quite a lot of news at this time. Euthanasia and eugenics have become uh, very much in the news, trying to eradicate the bad genes from our society. There are serious economic issues that we all have to face. There's the rise of what's called the new atheist movement, which, again, is something which is probably not all that new, um, but has been revived in one way or another. The rise of radical Islam is there to be seen around the world and even in certain places within the UK. The New Age spiritism and and astrology um, teachings, they remain firmly established within the society in which we live. So there are all sorts of changes to our culture and to the church that are taking place. And the church, rather than being admired and respected as it was perhaps at one time, is being shunned and rejected and undermined and even ignored in certain areas. The culture is turning away from God and ignoring God as it turns. The church itself is at best, very lost in some areas. At worst, probably could be described as apostate. Postmodernism has become the new mantra in some places, even within the church. And that's a world philosophy that has begun to become established within certain areas of the church as well. And the emerging church, or the emergent church as it's sometimes called, does purport to have a postmodernist view. And you'll find folks like Brian McLaren and Rob Bell and so on who um, encourage these teachings. And for much, they leave behind what the tenets of the faith are and, and they look for a kind of no absolutes philosophy to come and be raised up within the church. And that to us is a challenge and will continue to be a challenge. And we could go on and on listing things that perhaps we are concerned about and worried about. But let us take a wee look, just a little background to this scripture that we've been reading in 2 Timothy 3. This letter was written in what was an extremely difficult time for the church. It was a period that the church was being established, it was new, um, a, a whole new philosophy, a whole new teaching had come into the community uh, and was, the church was growing throughout the Middle East and beyond. And if Paul is teaching here to Timothy that the end times will be tough, then he was probably saying that they were going to be tougher than the times that they were experiencing right there. And so if we have to see what kind of thing to expect, we need to have a look and see what Paul was actually experiencing himself and Timothy 
uh, was experiencing. And these were tough times. This is described as the last letter that Paul wrote before he died. It um, chronologically comes after um, the book of Titus, which in the scripture comes uh, before it. But it, uh, it's important for us to realize that this was a, a, a time when someone was trying to communicate something that was of major importance to him and he felt should be of major importance to those who would once read it. And Timothy obviously was that, was that man, this son in the faith that he had. And so we've got to take note when someone writes their last words or speaks their last words, they can often have very strong significance with them. Um, there are those who say stupid things as they're dying, and there are those who have famous last words, words which we need to take note of. And here, Paul is writing something to his son in the faith, one whom he wanted to make sure didn't lose the significance of what he was saying. Some of the other background is that Paul is not free to, to move around on his own. He, he's a prisoner in Rome, and it's coming to the end of his life. It says in the early chapters of Second Timothy that his friends had left him. And so here he is, he's in a very tough situation personally. His friends had turned away from him. If you read in Second Timothy chapter 1, you'll find some description of that. And then in Second Timothy 4, he, he talks more about that. And uh, he, he talks about being aban abandoned by everyone. Now, can you imagine a man in a Roman prison, a man who had been used by God uh, to write much of the New Testament as we know it now, a man who had uh, been used to establish the, the New Testament church and the church to the Gentiles and the church that we now know today here. He is the one that was the one called to go and, and begin to preach to the Gentiles, in order that we could have church today. And here he is. He's been abandoned by all of his friends. He's languishing in a prison. And it says not only has, has he been abandoned, but there are those, if you look in chapter 4, um, you'll find that there are those who are actually trying to do him harm. There's Alexander the coppersmith is mentioned by name as one who wants to do Paul harm and, and try to destroy the work that he's doing. Now, he, of course, understood that because he was at the other side of the fence once before, before he was saved, before he met Christ on the way. He was one of those who would come into communities, into churches, into individuals' lives and destroy their uh, day and their lives with the actions that he took, taking them off to be killed. And so he understood that perhaps, but here he is languishing in prison. And he reminds us in verse 17 of chapter 4 that the Lord himself is the only one who stood by him and rescued him from the lion's mouth. So you can imagine the description that he gives of the situation that he is in from his perspective is that he is facing the lion's mouth. Now I don't quite know what he means by that, but there is probably 
the loneliness and abandonment is that sense of being, being destroyed, being brutally uh, abused. Perhaps he's referring to that. When one's friends disappear like dust, like snow off a dike, as, they would, as we would say in Scotland. They've gone and they're nowhere to be seen at my time of need. So perhaps he was reflecting on that abandonment by his friends. Perhaps he was reflecting on the fact that when you are in a situation of dire need and dire trouble, that the enemy can come in. The Bible describes the devil as like a roaring lion, roaring, roaming around to see who he can destroy and devour. And so perhaps there's a bit of that in, in Paul's experience that he's, he's just going through this sense of, of awfulness and the enemy is trying to uh, creep in and speak lies into his life and say, nobody cares for you anyway. And so where is your God now? Um, and what's happening to you? It's just as they did to Jesus on the cross, who when he hung there, people would say, well, if you're the son of God, come on down then. Let's see one of your miracles now. And so the, the, the lion could be described as that kind of effect on one's life in a difficult period. But there was also a much more obvious lion, and that was the lion of the amphitheater as well. Perhaps he is reflecting on that, that many of his brothers and sisters had gone that way. Many he had sent himself, and so he knew exactly what that might mean, and he knew that there were others like him before he became a Christian who were very prepared to throw Christians to the lions. And so he says, I've been rescued from the lion's mouth. And it's so important for us to know that when we are in trouble, the Lord knows about it. And it says in these scriptures that the Lord was the only one who would come to rescue him. The Lord knows that we're in trouble and comes alongside us in difficult circumstances. We see it in all sorts of situations. We saw it in the book of Acts in chapter 7 when Stephen was being stoned. And Paul was, or Saul as he was then, was one who was standing there watching, instigating, holding the coats uh, as others were involved in the stoning. And it tells us there that Stephen looked up into heaven and he saw Jesus standing. Which is quite significant in itself. If you read the scriptures, you'll find that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus, having done all, done all he sat down. And so he's, he's sitting in our perspective. But here, it says that Jesus was standing. And that's important for us to realize that he, Jesus isn't sitting with his arms folded and untouched by what's going on in our lives on a daily basis. He, when our lives are, are, are in trouble, it would appear from this scripture in Acts that Jesus stands and is with us and is ready and prepared to receive us no matter what the circumstances might be. But there is one man <clears throat> who comes alongside man called Onesiphorus. And he says he sought Paul out to come and help him in his last days on earth. And here's this young man who was probably very aware 
of the dangers that he faced. One who knew Paul, obviously. One who admired this man who had uh, probably inspired him to serve God in the first place. And here he is. He, he comes to seek Paul out. He doesn't just trip over him or come upon him by mistake. He seeks him out to come and help him to survive in these last few days. And so it, it challenges us in these verses that we need to be aware that there is part that we need to play um, in circumstances. But the fact may, being that God will always be with us and send those to us that we need in difficult times. The question is, perhaps for us just now, are we, are we in the last days? Well, I'm not prepared to go too far with this because there are many who have uh, said all sorts of things over the years and have fallen uh, foul of these verses and, and that kind of statement. But what I would say to you is that there's a clear description um, in these verses that we've read about what the last days will be like. Now, generally speaking, uh, at the in the situation in which we stand right now, we are in the last days. Overall, the, the Christ will come, so we are in the last days, according to the Scriptures. And in Mark 13, it calls us to keep watch uh, in order that we don't make a mistake with regard to these things. But uh, where are we in that process? And I think if we can look at these words, we'll find what's going on. But there is important words mentioned here, and one of the important parts are these words which Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 1. He calls us to make note, and I think that's very important first of all. He calls us to make note. He says, mark this, there will be terrible times. Now, specifically what that means it probably will take a whole lot longer than I have today to deal with, but what I would say to you is, there is a long list of detailed behaviors that we will see in the last days that are significant. And I think if you, you choose a, a checklist of, of these that were, are given to us here, we can probably tick most of them anyway, if not all of them. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Now there's one that we can certainly tick. Um, in our current situation and generation. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Well, you parents will know <laughs> what that means. But there's a, a greater significance in that. All children can be unruly and, and a bit rough and a bit difficult to handle at times. But we're talking about a much greater situation there where people walk away from the the faith of their parents walk away from everything that they've been taught. Um, so it's more than just little ones being a problem. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiven, slanderous, without self-control. There's a whole list here of behaviors that we will see in the last days. And so we can be sure that some of these certainly are part of what we are seeing today. And so Paul is saying to us here that these things will come about. But, it's all, but he also says later on in verse 9, 
But these people who are involved in all of this thing will not get far because, as in the case of Yanis and Yambres, as we read, their folly will be clear to everyone. And that's something that perhaps we should take more time on. Uh, the, the whole business of the behavior of these people is something that is going to be a challenge to everyone. And what I think we can see is that even those who have a much more liberal perspective can see even today that the circumstances that we are facing are a bit crazy. We have kind of painted ourselves into a corner in all sorts of ways within the society in which we live. And uh, the, the way in which we live our lives is becoming more and more uh, complex and there is folly that comes when one person is unable to do something because it affronts someone else um, and both of these people have got to live together in a situation. These things can be very, very difficult to handle and folly comes through in all of it as we can see. And so Paul is trying hard to tell us here that there is something that we need to be aware of. It's his last letter before he dies. It's the situation that he wants to communicate to us of great importance. And he tells us that there are signs in the community in which we live that we need to be aware of. But he goes on. Later on in that scripture, he begins to turn his focus on Timothy himself. And he says, all of these things will happen. But he says, you are to be different. If you pick up in verse 10, after all of that uh, list of behaviors that we've seen, which we can see in our community, certainly to a, a large degree, he says, you, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose. And then he begins to give us another list, a list, a list of things which we should see in his life and in the lives of other Christians, in our own lives, if you like. You, who, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. And he describes some of the situations that he's been through in Antioch, in Iconium, in Lystra. And he says, all of these things... They've happened to me, and yet I have not fallen by the wayside like the, the, the list of previous behaviors that we read. He says, in all of that, there has been patience, there has been love, there has been faith, there has been endurance. And so he says, young man, Timothy, son in the faith, listen up. These things are important for you to understand. You have to be a different person. And so he says, take instructions from my way of life. I've modeled something for you, and you can now live and behave in a better way. He says, don't be surprised that evil men will come along. He says, that shouldn't be a surprise to you. Neither should it be a surprise to us. Evil men will come along. There'll be imposters, people who fake their faith, if you like. They're a fraud. They cheat. They're wolves in sheep's clothing, perhaps, even. 
He says, these people will get worse. The wicked will get worse. And so that's an encouraging thought, that it's, it's going to get worse. Things are not going to get any better necessarily. But he's saying, you have to be different. You have to be a different person in all of this. And so we need to be aware that as God's word is, is preached, is given, is provided for us, that there is a way of life that is encouraged there, is taught there, that we need to take hold of. We need to remain in God's word and remain close to God and his people. You see, sheep are notoriously stupid. They can be easily deceived. And this uh, evil that comes into the church or can come into the church uh, because of imposters is sometimes allowed in very easily indeed. Um, those of us, I mean, if my father was a shepherd all his life, and so I kind of have a, an understanding of how stupid sheep can be. And uh, as kids, we used to play all sorts of tricks on these poor animals <laughs> to make them do things. And um, they are intensely stupid. And uh, so we are described like that. So it, I don't mean it to be an insult, but it probably is a bit of an insult. But it tells us that we are like sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We are stupid. You know, we can graze ourselves to lostness. That's what sheep do. They, they get themselves uh, grazing on a piece of, of foggage somewhere or grass somewhere. And they say, well, there's another piece over here. Let's go and eat that. And then they look over and they find another piece. And eventually they lift up their head and look around and there's nothing there. They're on their own. They're lost. And so we can be a bit stupid like sheep. We used to deceive animals all the time, as I said. One of the things that we, we used to do, which is actually quite a good deception uh, for them, was that we used to, uh, if a you if gave birth to a, a stillborn lamb or the lamb died somehow because of the cold weather or whatever, we would skin the dead lamb and put the skin on a living lamb in order that the ewe would receive it because she knew a lamb initially by its smell. Uh, eventually they get to know the lamb by its bleat and by its shape and by its behavior and so on like any other animal. But they know their, their lamb by its smell at birth. And so you'll find that a ewe always turns around and sniffs to find who's actually suckling to see if it's her lamb or not. And if it's not one of hers that's snuck in there, she'll get rid of it short shrift. And so what we used to do was we'd skin these lamb, these dead lambs and put the skin onto the, a living lamb and foster that lamb or adopt that lamb onto that ewe. And uh, because the smell was right, she would accept it in the main. There are times when she wouldn't, but um, some of them are a bit smarter than others. But uh, she would accept it. And so this deception would come, and that's why it talks here about, about wolves in sheep's clothing. You know, you put a sheep's skin onto a wolf, sheep looks at it and says, that's another sheep. It's easily deceived. And so Paul is telling us here, and Timothy, look, the church can be easily deceived. And he's trying hard to communicate this to this young man who has got a lot to learn in a very short period of time, um, as we can see. He says to him, going on, he says, yes, you need to expect that there will be persecution because the culture in which you're living 
and the culture for which you're being asked to teach and live in, the Christian culture, the two of these things, that message, the message from the world and the message from the church, are going to collide. And that's what we're seeing in our own generation. That message is colliding. And so we can expect persecution. We can expect it to be tough. Tolerance is required um, within our community. And, And, of course, someone once said there's nothing less tolerant than tolerance. And that's fairly accurate, I would think. Um, Keller says something. Tolerance isn't about not having beliefs. It's about how your beliefs lead you to treat people who you disagree with. And I think that's part of what we need to learn with regard to the church and how we develop at this particular time. And we need to also hold fast to the fact that the truth that is found in Christ uh, is unable to be watered down. It's unable to be changed. It is, remains the truth and something that we need to be very, very strong about. And so, <clears throat> Jesus is the only way. He is the one from whom we find our salvation. Those of us who have been in church for a period of time will be aware of that. Those of us who have come to know Christ will be aware of that. Acts, uh, sorry, in John chapter 17 it says this, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. There is only one answer. And so we're going to have pressure put upon us to reject that situation. But we need to stand strong. And and Paul is saying to Timothy, all these tough times are going to come, and yet you need to be different. What do we do in difficult circumstances? How do we deal with that situation? I remember once I was traveling with a missions organization in the Philippines. And we were asked to visit the island of Mindanao, which is in the south of the Philippines, which at that time was under the control of um, Al-Qaeda and uh, Islamic fundamentalist groups. And it was quite a challenge to be there, I have to say. And we were asked to go and visit a group of uh, young Filipino trainees and to help them, uh, encourage them in their faith. And uh, I remember I was standing teaching in this little room with these Filipino guys around me, and it was great fun, and we were having a really nice time. And all of a sudden, I heard the vehicle that we were being transported in coming rattling up the road at high speed. And he said, the driver of the vehicle said, get your stuff and hurry up. Don't say another word. Get out of here as soon as possible. I said, why? was probably quite an obvious question. And he said, well, the Islamic fundamentalist group is sweeping into this area right now, and you don't even have time to do anything else. Just stop and move. And the thought, of course, came to me, what do I do if I get captured? What do I do? What do I say? How do I respond to that kind of situation? Thankfully, I didn't have to answer the question, and uh, everything was okay. However, many of those who we left behind were in great difficulty as a result. But these guys were brave, and they stuck to what the truth of the gospel was all about. So Paul says to Timothy, you're going to find these difficult circumstances are going to come. But he says, God 
will rescue you. And that's important for us to hold on to as well, that our God is going to be with us. He's going to be there. Matthew chapter 10, it says this, don't be afraid of those who kill the body. God is going to be there with us. Psalm, chapter, uh, Psalm 118 says this, the Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? You see, if God is with us, there is something that's taken place in our lives that's changed the whole of the circumstances. So he says, even though you go through tough times, God will rescue you. He'll come to your help. He says, you may have to endure for a period, but God will be with you. We're not told what kind of rescue we will have. It may not be a Land Rover coming flying up the road and whisking us off somewhere. It may probably will not be a, a white horse with a, a, a lord on top uh, with a sword in his hand coming running in. That's what the Jews expected in their day. But Jesus was rescued one day as the crowd tried to throw, throw him down over a cliff. He was rescued and he walked through the crowd. Paul was rescued from the hands of those who tried to do him harm on many occasions. And so he was one who could say that that God would be there. All sorts of things, even with Silas and the earthquake in the jail, if you remember that story. Peter had angels come into the prison cell and take him out uh, in that difficult circumstance. If you go back into the Old Testament, you'll find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were rescued even when they were thrown into the fire. <laughs> Astounding situation. So our rescue could come in all sorts of different ways. But we must keep doing what is right until that point and not give up. You know, when I was a child, the, the church had this sort of embattled sort of philosophy that, you know, we must hold the fort because Jesus is coming one day. And if we just stand still and hang together uh, very tightly, we'll be all okay. But, you know, that's not really how the church needs to develop. We need to see a church that will evangelize, that will uh, uh, preach the word of God teach the word of God, make disciples of all nations, etc. And keep doing the right thing. Paul is saying to Timothy here, there are things that you've learned, things that you've become convinced of, things that you need to keep doing. Don't take your eye off the heavenly goal. Keep going and don't give up. And so we need to do the same. He said, you learned it from infancy. I'm one of those very fortunate people who grew up in a Christian home. And so I was taught the scriptures from the time I was a baby, from a child. And the kids that come to church here, it's a wonderful start that they get. And here, Paul is saying to Timothy, there's something that has been part of your life right from the time you were very young. Don't give up on it now. And uh, keep your eye on the heavenly goal that God has given to you. It's something you've learned. It's something you need to hold on to. Then he goes on to say that the scriptures, and he begins to talk about the scriptures themselves, something you've learned from from when you were young, but he said these things will make you wise for the salvation through for salvation through faith in Christ. And sometimes the wisdom of God can be um, very confusing to us. Uh, God speaks to us and says something about our lives. He says, you are a sinner 
well, that's not a thing you need to accept nowadays. We can, we can, we can live our lives and we can be so-called Christians without really going into that in too much detail. But the, what Paul is saying here is these scriptures that you've been given will make you wise to salvation through faith in Christ. So you need to take hold of the whole picture, the whole story, not just bits of it that you think might be appropriate. A friend of mine used to say that you know, we become so, so liberal in what we do and what we say with regard to the scripture that we take bits out and put things to one side and say, well, you know, he said some people, all they've got left is a bit of Romans, a bit of Corinthians, the maps and the cover because they've thrown the rest of it away. And that's exactly what we do. We tend to think, well, in our modern age, we don't really need to accept that. But he's saying here, no, the scriptures make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. And so we need to maintain that. There's many, many times people have said to me, and, and, uh, as a Christian working in a, in, a, in, a, in a secular job, if you like, have said to me, you, you, I really wish I had your faith. <laughs> or your faith must really help you in that situation. And they get the wrong picture altogether. It's not our faith that helps us. It's the object of our faith that helps us. It's Christ himself. It is that salvation that comes to us through Christ. And so I can have all the faith in the world. If I stand at the bus stop down there and I say, I believe that that bus can take me into the city center, I can have all the faith in the world, but if I don't get on the bus, <laughs> then I'm going nowhere. And that's our faith. That's the faith we're talking about. It's the object of our faith. If we don't come and live our lives in Christ, then we've lost everything. We must have not just faith, but the Christ who brings us into that place. It's so through faith in Christ. And then finally, he goes on to talk about the importance um, and the power of the Scriptures. And I'll quickly go through this if I may. He says that all Scripture is God-breathed. Now, he's trying hard to, to say to Timothy, this is not just a book, or this is not just some writings. This is not just some uh, scrolls. This is something that God himself has given to us. Now, we are going to be challenged on this, I believe, very, very severely with regard to the Scripture. And we have been and will be challenged on this, I believe, more and more. The Scripture is God-breathed. It wasn't somebody who sat down after having too much cheese for their supper and had a dream in the night and thought, that sounds like a good story, let's write it down. This is God's Word coming to us, the breath of God. And so we must take it as that and not have it diluted in some way or another. And he says, remember, this Word, this Scripture is useful. It's useful for teaching, upbuilding in the church, but it's also useful for rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. It brings benchmarks to us all over the place, the Scripture. And so it allows us to teach people what is right and what is true, but it also allows us to say, no, this is wrong, because the Word of God is true. And so it's a challenge for us, something that we need to take hold of and make sure that we don't let go of. And it says, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped 
for every good work. And so our good works come out of what the scripture says. Not as the world would say that we have a balance of good works and evil works. And if our evil works are heavier than our good works, then we're going to be in trouble. But if our good works are heavier than our evil works, then we'll be okay. That's the kind of view that much of the world might have, even about the church. And some people in the church will have that view as well. But it says, no, our good works are determined by what the scripture says. And that's very important as well. And it says the word, the, the word of God is powerful. Scripture tells us it's sharper than a two-edged sword dividing the soul and the spirit. And so Paul is able to say, even in difficult circumstances, these may be tough times, Timothy. These may be tough times, church, in 2012. However, the important thing is Paul wrote it in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe. And so the scripture comes to us in this way. He's teaching this young man some of the final words that he ever would speak uh, or write down certainly. And he's saying, Timothy, take hold of it. You are to be different. And if I was to leave any message with you today, it would be these words. You are to be different. And that's a tough challenge for us in the world in which we live because they all, everybody wants to pull us into line and make us like bricks. But the Bible tells us that God makes us precious stones. We're all different. We want to be different. We want to be as Christ would be in this situation. Not just different for the sake of it, but different because this world is going in the wrong direction. Now, there's much more that I could say, but my time is fully gone, so I won't say any more just now. But let's apply some of these things. The fact that the word of God is so important to us. One other thing which I'd like to just catch from that before I finish is to say that we can't first guess God on anything that he does. Here is a man, Paul, who has been instrumental in setting up the church and yet he's been taken away out of it right at the point where he probably could be most needed. And God says, no, it's time for him to go. And there are those who we look around and we say, Lord, why have you taken them at this moment in time? Why are they gone? Why are they being removed from us? And it's because that God has a plan, a bigger purpose than we perhaps can see. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for your word, which is powerful, it's sharp, and it can deal with the circumstances in which we find ourselves. We thank you for this word which comes to us and calls us, even in the, the trough of the mess that our world is in, to be different and to stand aside from it, to have nothing to do with the kind of behaviors that we see, and to come and ask you to help us in times of real trouble. And so, Father, we pray that your word might be effective in our lives, that your word might reach into our hearts and, and challenge us and make us strong in these circumstances and not to yield and give in. Lord, we can't do it in our own strength. We know that. But we can do it as we remain in you and you remain in us. So be with each one of us, we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.